Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, welcome back to Breaking Down Collapse. Today's episode is going to be unique in that we're not necessarily teaching a new concept or like a solid principle, but it's going to be fun. You know, we get a lot of questions and I see a lot of people speculating about what does the future actually look like after we've collapsed. And anybody that answers that, I mean, it's pure speculation. There's a million things that could happen between now and then, a million choices to be made, and a million random factors that we don't know enough about to really be able to say what that future is going to look like. But there has been a lot of ideas and speculation and things thrown around. And so what we thought we'd do today is go through some of those ideas that we've seen tossed around, maybe some of our own ideas. We also reached out through the subreddit R Collapse to get people's opinions on what they thought the bottom of collapse would look like. So we'll highlight some of those here as well. So I do want to mention that obviously we're not going to touch on every possibility. There are so many of them. These are just some of the most common and maybe most plausible outcomes of collapse that I can see. And if you've got your own opinion about this, we'd love to actually hear it. Feel free to send us a message or leave a comment when we post this to the subreddit to let us know your view of the future. Corey, do you remember, I think it was the first episode, the first time that you introduced me to collapse and started explaining it to me. One of the first questions that I had was around, okay, what does this actually look like? What can I envision? What should I expect? And so to think that today we're going to finally be diving deep on that is something I've been looking forward to for a long time. Yeah, and I think one important thing to note is that, you know, we expect collapse to take a while and that probably through our lifetimes, things will continue to collapse. And so we may never see the bottom. 
you know, we could be talking about a future that's 100 years from now, a future that's 500 years from now. And yeah, if we collapse hard and fast, then it could be a future that we see 50 years from now. But I think the point is, when a lot of people who are not collapse aware think about the future, I think I get really confused about what they envision. Like, I think most people just assume that life is going to continue forever exactly like it is now. That 100 years from now, people are going to be living in the suburbs we might have more technologies, but to think that there would be no drastic changes is kind of ridiculous to me. So to start, like I said, there's so many choices, so many directions, so many variables about the future that we don't know about. You know, will humanity at some point wake up and make massive changes for the better around things like climate change and inequality? Or is the complete opposite going to happen and someone ends up you know, opening the nuclear football? And so while this episode isn't to talk about the path that we're going to take to get to the end result... It's more just about what that end result is going to be. So when you talk about all the different variables that are there, I think perhaps the biggest discrepancy in opinions is probably just around how bad will it be, right? Like you said, there are certain people who just think the future is going to be great. But for anyone who is collapse aware, there's probably a huge spectrum, a huge range of just how severe people think it will get. Yeah. And one of the main things that we got in response to our question that we posed on the subreddit is no matter how bad it's going to get, it's going to get there probably slowly. It's going to be a slow burn through the whole thing. It's going to be one of the words I saw the most was banal. And, you know, we mentioned in the first episode about the boring dystopia, that sort of idea. All right. So let's start then with the most sort of epic and depressing possible outcomes. And then we'll work our way up to the ones that might not relatively be so bad, right? Or maybe even some that are optimistic or just straight up hopium. But as resources start to run thin and as climate change starts to wreak havoc on nations, we spoke a few episodes about how international relationships will start to sour as there's mass migrations and water shortages and conflicts between nations. So it's not unlikely that there are going to be wars fought. And because of that, there's always a risk of nuclear warfare. And so this, to me, is by far the most depressing path that we could take and the one that I just absolutely hope does not happen. You know, I feel like I'm a pretty mentally resilient person, but the prospect of even trying to survive and live on a dead planet like honestly has very little appeal to me. And I could see how mentally it would be unsurvivable. Have you seen the movie or read the book The Road by Cormac McCarthy? No, but I have heard you reference it, and it sounds extremely depressing. So I haven't read the book since I was in, like, middle school, and I remember being really impacted by it. And then recently I saw the movie. Like, I just remember watching it and having sort of this anxiety about what the future could look like and just hoping beyond all hope that that is not the result of collapse. Cormac McCarthy has not explicitly said, and he doesn't explain it in the book, whether or not what happened there is because of nuclear warfare. Some people speculate that it's from like a meteor strike. And some people thought that it was like a massive volcano, like the Yellowstone supervolcano or something. Each theory has its reasons for and against, but that's not really what matters. What matters is the result, and it's that the sky turns gray. Plants stop growing. There are basically no more animals. The earth is just dead. It seems there's no ability to grow anything new, and so the people become scavengers. And, you know, it's just this terribly depressing thing where this guy and his son are scavenging the planet. You assume that they're probably 10 years into, you know, this event because the wife was pregnant with the son when it all went down. She ends up committing suicide. She wants to take the son with her, but the dad won't let him. 
And so now they're just scavenging the planet, watching other people get eaten, you know, watching people be enslaved by other scavengers who are like cannibalizing these people and just the mistrust between people. And anyway, it's just this epically depressing thing. And so for me, seeing that, all I can do is hope that no matter what comes, we can just leave the nukes alone and find some way for humanity to at least survive. Because in this scenario, it surely leads to extinction. So even with everything that I've learned from you, yeah, I can see where something like that maybe is a possibility, but it seems like such a stretch, like such a long shot that it would actually get that severe. And it makes me wonder, like, if there was a nuclear war, would it really cause that much damage? Like, I'm sure in places where the nukes explode, there'd be really severe damage, but you would think it would be localized to that city or that area or that region. So it kind of, in my mind, falls in line with like the whole doomsday prepper, like one big, massive, crazy event, a meteor strike or something, and then all of a sudden everything goes down the drain. Is that how you see it as well? Yeah, and that's why we haven't talked about this in the podcast before and why we're only bringing it up now because it's one of many variations of the future that people see, right? You know, volcanic activity or a meteor strike, those are barely even worth mentioning A nuclear war, I think, is still unlikely, but more likely, right? You talk about nations truly hating each other already, and then adding in the fact that they don't have water, and they're relying on a river that passes through a neighboring country who cuts their water off so that they can build a dam so that their country can have water. You know, and the conflicts that can come from that, the idea of some maniacal leader pushing the nuclear red button becomes more realistic. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet, and people attribute that to mutually assured destruction, which is basically just like, yeah, if you push your red button, I'm going to push mine, and then they're going to push theirs, and pretty soon the sky is filled with nukes. And so I hope that that's what continues to be the case, that no one's going to push it because then everyone would push it, and it's not good for anybody in the end. Even if everybody did, some scientists say it wouldn't end all life on Earth. You know, there's different theories about like, yeah, but nuclear winter and it would dramatically, you know, automatically lower the temperature of the earth, making, you know, growing crops impossible and all these different theories. The truth is we, we don't really know and hopefully we never find out. But for the sake of viewing this type of future, you know, when we're talking about something like you see in the road, regardless of how we got there, that is a future that I would certainly hope we don't ever have to encounter. Which, by the way, we are going to be referring to works of fiction a couple times throughout this. And it's strictly because the future hasn't happened yet. And so the fiction that people have come up with, their ideas of the future, are kind of what give us something to, to look at and base our ideas off of. There were a few people in the subreddit when I asked the question who ridiculed the fact that we were going to use fiction or that I used fiction to compare. So I just want to clarify that that's why we're doing it. Okay, so what if no one ever pushes the nuclear button? It's at this point where we get back to what I mentioned earlier, and that's that most people have the consensus that collapse is going to be this slow, grinding, downward slope. And one of the comments on Reddit in answer to my question was this. Somebody said, they envision it being a soft apocalypse with political violence, poverty, and gut-wrenching cruelty existing alongside fancy new phones, gated communities, and designer drugs. So this idea that like, yeah, it doesn't all happen at once. You've got some people who are just in absolute poverty and suffering. Meanwhile, Samsung's still coming out with, you know, the Galaxy S 400. And there are still people living as if nothing's going on. But over time, it's more and more people who are on the side of suffering and less and less people who are on the side of having wealth. 
which I guess kind of aligns with what we've talked about in recent episodes regarding the wealth disparity and the way that the wealth gap just keeps widening. And in some degree, you know, you mentioned works of fiction makes me think of the Hunger Games where you've got most people in poverty or suffering having a less than ideal lifestyle. Well, there's also people in the capital that are living really lavishly and, you know, making themselves throw up just so they, they can enjoy more food. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's actually one of the future scenarios that I think we'll bring up here in just a minute. But that's spot on. I think one part of going through this banal, boring dystopia is that I think life is going to be pierced with moments of drama and shock. You know, the first time the U.S. Capitol building was attacked by protesters, that was novel and shocking. But I think the second or third or fourth time that it happens, it's going to be less so. You know, the next time an armed mob or militia carries out an attack, even if that's near and nearer to our homes, each time that happens, it's going to be less fascinating. The next world war is going to be epic. And then as it becomes more and more epic or as more countries are dragged into it, it becomes more boring. So the point is, you know, 2020 was a shocking year for people. And while I think we'll continue to be shocked, it's going to take more and more and things being worse and worse for us to be shocked by it because we're just going to become desensitized. And since you mentioned that, maybe this is a good point for me to chime in with one of my thoughts as I've tried to think through what I expect. You know, one of the things that worries me most is food insecurity on a larger level and the fact that supply chains can break and climate change will mean there's less ability for us to continue to produce as much food as we need. But as I think about it, you know, you mentioned this gradual decline, and I think that's true, but I don't see it as, hey, I go into the grocery store today and there are 200 loaves of bread on the shelf. And when I go in in a month, there's 199, and then the next month there's 198. I see it more like these shocking moments where all of a sudden there's no bread on the shelves, right? And it gets cleared out and there's kind of this panic, but then it comes back and maybe it doesn't come back quite as strong, right? Or maybe it comes back even stronger, but then it descends even lower. And so I, I personally think that as things go on this gradual decline, it's not going to be at necessarily a consistent pace. I think there's going to be off again, on again moments of a deteriorating situation. Yeah, what you're describing is John Michael Greer's idea of a staircase of collapse. Things level out. They seem normal. We might even go back up a little bit, but then we hit the next step, right? And that step is going to be, like I said, kind of a shocking, dramatic thing. But then things level out. And every time that happens, you're going to get people who are saying, gosh, can't 2020 just be over, right? So we can start 2021 again. And they continually have this view of things going back up. And that's just the denialism. If it was one huge event, that would be easier for people to suddenly realize and wake up to reality. But instead, I think we'll just continue to have this grind with ever worsening situations over time. Along with becoming desensitized to it, I think what we won't realize is that you know, each event, as they're increasing, they're increasing in frequency and they're also increasing in intensity. There's a popular saying that I hear often um, in regards to collapse, and it's that it's slow at first, then all at once. So eventually, the structures of society will only be able to take so much of a beating, and only so many supporting pieces of infrastructure can be weakened before the structure just collapses in on itself. You know, you imagine a building that's on fire, it can burn for a long time before the building itself actually collapses. And when it does collapse, that happens in just a few seconds. 
So one of the views out there is that once we've gone from this slow state to all at once, that that's when the state's going to dissolve, meaning no more government, our political structure is gone. It's also the period of years when there's a complete loss of supply chain, of technology, which leads to a death of the majority of the population. So this train of thought that a lot of people have is that the remaining population will only be whatever the Earth's carrying capacity is without fossil fuels. So we've discussed that being something like 10 to 15% of what it is now or less. So maybe somewhere in the hundreds of millions of people on the whole earth. So the theory is that we're basically going to have this total reset. It'll be like going back to the 1500s, but we'll have agriculture and trade, but that's all just going to be done on a very local level. And here's the part about this theory that I kind of veer away from, but it's that humanity will have humbled itself because of everything it just went through. It will have realized the error of its ways, that because of capitalism and the way that people acted and the greed and all of that, that that's the reason society fell. And they'll try and pick themselves up and create a new, beautiful society devoid of all of those issues. You know, it feels kind of like the last scene of that collapse movie you're watching where sort of the remnants of people are coming together and everybody's friendly and, and building this new thing. And so this scenario to me feels a bit like hopium. I feel like it's a bit romanticized and frankly, a little oversimplified. When I first started learning about collapse, this was the future that I saw. I think just naturally my mind went to this romanticized movie idea of it'll suck, but just like the end of any good story, we can pull through it together and come out the other side. But I think the reality to me now is that when we go from that slow to all at once, like we are going to lose political structures. There is going to be, you know, a massive die off. But the difference is I think that power and wealth and some technology will still be in place. And that's where we head into a scenario like you described with the Hunger Games. I envision after a couple generations of people simply trying to survive in small communities or tribes that wealth inequality will explode to a severity that we've never experienced up to this point. You know, the powerful and the wealthy are going to be emerging from their bunkers and the hideouts that they were raised in by their wealthy parents. You know, wealth could be at that point anything from knowledge of engineering, of mechanics, of how electricity works that was passed down to them from their parents, you know, and knowledge of things like agriculture, water systems, of sciences that will cause some communities to thrive while others suffer. And so I could get to the point where I could see wealthy communities going out and finding these people who have managed to survive on their own and basically enslaving them to power their wealthy communities. Just like what you said is basically what you see in the Hunger Games. You've got these factions of people surrounding the wealthy community, separated far enough that they can't physically reach it. But in order for them to just survive, they're forced to do the labor, gather the coal or the wood or whatever it is, in order to power these insanely lavish lifestyles of those living in the capital. And there is technology that remains. And the technology that remained is used to further either entertain those in the capital or to oppress those who are not. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So is this like an ancient Egypt kind of scenario? You've got the very small ruling class, you know, the pharaoh, and you've got just countless slaves and that these empires get built that way? Or are you still picturing things on a pretty small scale? Yeah, you know, if you think of a world that's just 10% of our current population, that's still almost a billion people. And 1% of them being wealthy still represents 10 million people. So whether or not they're all in one place, and they likely won't be, especially at first, I could see how there could be a congregating, you know, of the wealthy together to protect themselves against the poor and sort of building, you know, a mega city of wealthy. I used to scoff at stuff like the Hunger Games because I just thought, how could a society that was so advanced technologically have such inequality? Shouldn't everyone be better off when there's that much technological advancement? But I think what I failed to understand is that the driving forces behind inequality and the fact that it's getting worse and it's going to continue to get worse is that collapse is not going to stop it. I think collapse is going to accelerate it. And those who are in power will do anything and everything possible to maintain it and not have to share their piece of the pie with others. So I hear you mentioning technology, and I think about a lot of the technologies that we have, right? At least the first things that come to your mind when you think of technology is usually like phones and computers and the internet and all that. And most of that is so dependent on a larger infrastructure that it makes me wonder, like, what kind of technologies would you anticipate could even survive? Yeah, the question of technological advancement and what would make it through collapse is a really interesting one. Like, we're continually advancing technology now in really interesting ways. You know, we're making new advancements in areas of, like, transhumanism, which is basically just turning the human body into a machine, right? Or the idea of uploading your conscious into a database. Those are all things that people are actively working on. So in that example, how far will we make it down that path? When it comes to things like surveillance, the ability to have real-time information on things happening you know, in a nanosecond on the other side of the world, advances in weaponry and warfare and in medicine, technologies and renewable resources and sustainable energy. So like you said, they all rely on a bigger infrastructure. But the question is, is that going to continue? You know, Is there going to be technological advancements that allow us to not have to run cables under the ocean floor to have our internet? We don't know. We really have no idea. So while it is impossible to say exactly what technologies we'll have, what we'll be able to reproduce, there is one path that one of our patrons actually mentioned to us, and it's the idea of solar punk. Have you heard of solar punk before, Cohen? No, I haven't. I hadn't either. And it's really interesting. It's basically an art movement similar to cyberpunk or steampunk. But it's this idea that societies of the future are going to live sustainably through renewable resources. Now, the idea of something like that working with our current population is not at all realistic to me. But to think that a collapsed society who managed to hang on to renewable technologies, carbon capture, those types of things may allow a smaller society to live sustainably. And I think that viewing the future in that way is a really positive way to view collapse. It reminds me of Sid Smith has a lecture that I'll link to in the description. It's called How to Enjoy the End of the World. And he basically just talks about the benefits to the Earth of a quicker collapse so that the Earth and its future occupants can have more of a chance to survive. And while this may not be the future that I 
realistically see. It is the future that like, if I want to hold on to some hope, if I want to find any cause worth fighting for now, it would be how can we preserve these technologies and make sure that they make it through so that the few who do survive through collapse have the ability to start over and to be able to do it sustainably. You know, one of the fundamental, I guess, principles of collapse that I feel like has really set in for me, even though I still am learning a lot about the details, is just the fact that we can't grow forever. We're on a finite planet and we can't grow infinitely and especially continue to grow exponentially. But I don't think that the earth just isn't a place for humans, right? I I appreciate hearing that last perspective because it makes sense to me that simply a smaller population that is using renewable energy and is maintaining, you know, a society and a structure that is more sustainable, that is something that seems realistic. That doesn't change the fact that collapse is inevitable, right? Sooner or later, we have to decline our growth in order to be able to continue existing. But it reminds me of something that I saw I think just recently, Elon Musk announced a $100 million award to whoever can come up with the best carbon capture technology. And who knows the details of that or how they would vet that out and at what point and how somebody would be declared the winner. But the fact that even though most of society isn't waking up, like you said before, to the changes that need to be made, but if even a couple of powerful people or wealthy people can incentivize others to make those advancements... It's not going to prevent our collapse, but at least it gives us, you know, a glimpse of hope for what the future will look like after we go through a collapse process. I'm really intrigued to see what happens with technology over the next couple of decades, right? We talked about in earlier episodes that technological advancement has a diminishing return, and I think that it will especially have a diminishing return as our infrastructure starts to fail, as there's less money to be able to put towards technology. But right now, we're in an era of rapidly advancing technology. And so I agree with you that it would be really interesting to see, especially if capitalism starts to shift in a way that going green is profitable. We're not there yet. And that's why we don't see a lot of things moving that way. I think by the time we do get there, like you said, it will be too late. There may be a moment in the future where like, it's just super obvious that the earth is totally screwed. And that if we don't make immediate changes that will collapse. And so I think capitalism will have this push towards green energy. And I think for a lot of people, it's going to appear as being the answer. And I think we'll collapse anyway. But can we take the things that we learned during that time into the next generations of people who are emerging on the other side of a collapsed world? And then you also have the question of, will that happen in a Hunger Games scenario where there is still immense inequality? Or will it happen in a sort of humbled, totally reset sort of world where people genuinely want to create new political systems and new economic systems that are both equal and sustainable? And while obviously we're not going to know that in our lifetimes, but maybe before we die, technology will advance to such a degree that we can upload our consciences to a cloud and live forever. And then at that point, we can, you know, do a podcast episode in 300 years where we'll report back on ourselves. Well, I hope then we at least keep one human alive through all of this to maintain the server (laughs) that all of our consciousnesses are uploaded to. Going off on a little bit of a tangent here, there's actually something called the Fermi Paradox, which is just about intelligent life and how we should have found intelligent life by now somewhere in the universe, but we haven't and why not? And there's all these different theories about why and questions being asked. And one of them is that basically all of these beings on other planets have uploaded their consciousness to servers that they found ways to have servers that don't need to be cooled down. And like, anyway, it's just, it's a crazy paradox. 
And I was joking about us having our consciousnesses uploaded because honestly, that sounds terrible. I would not want to live in a world where I'm not actually living. And I don't understand. Like there are people out there who legitimately want to do this because they feel that it would make them immortal. And to me, it sounds like a prison. Okay, but when it comes to everything that we've discussed, you brought up a lot of hypotheticals. And obviously, this is all to some degree hypothetical, right? We can see the path that we're on and how dangerous it is. And all of the factors that we talked about in previous episodes that are contributing to our collapse. But in this conversation, you've been saying, well, some people see it'll happen this way. Some people think it might happen this way. And even though we don't know, what is your own personal opinion and viewpoint? How do you see this playing out? As described, I think we will see a slow burn over the next few decades of increasing violence, of increasing warfare, and of increasing problems that come from climate change. I think those will increase in frequency and intensity. I think that things that are happening now, once every decade or every few decades, will be happening every year. And with that, I see a huge increase in humanity losing trust in itself in the will to live for a lot of people. I see a lot of suffering. And I also see a good handful of people who live to continue to try and decrease the suffering of others. I think it's true that it's going to happen slow at first and then all at once. And I think that all at once will be over the course of a few years to a decade in which a majority of people will die. And then I think after that, there will be somewhat of a long pause while the people who remain simply try and figure out how to keep going. I don't think there will be anything as far as large civilizations I think it will be mostly small tribes and communities who rely on each other to get by. And I do think that those in power, the wealthy today, who have set themselves up to survive a collapse, who are preparing themselves right now for what they know is coming, I think they will make it through. And I do think that, you know, 100 years from now, we'll be seeing a planet on which people are living in the few areas left that are livable, far to the north or to the south, right, away from the equator, and that there will remain a large wealth disparity, and that the wealth disparity will grow. When it comes to technologies that will remain, I honestly have no idea. I envision a future of technology where we don't keep a lot of... I envision a future in regards to technology in which some have access to the technologies of the past. I see the steam engine. I see very basic automobiles, sort of crude technologies, versions of what we have now, but scaled down. The poor will be the ones living in huts with absolutely nothing. And the wealthy will be those who are able to get from A to B in a crude automobile or maybe have some form of air conditioning and that sort of thing. And then from there, I wouldn't even dare speculate, right? We're talking like 500, 1,000 years in the future. Does technology explode again and become what it is today and move our way back up to 10 billion people as the earth has healed itself from this society? You know, I don't know. But I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. You know, it is really interesting to hear you talk through all that. And I think from my perspective, I'm probably still in denial to some degree. Like I've made it clear that yes, I think collapse will happen. My understanding of collapse is that things have to decrease in complexity. We have to move toward more simplicity. And that does mean the population decreases. But for some reason, I just have a hard time really believing that a majority of the world's population is going to die. I almost think of it as more like globally, people have less children as things get more difficult. And that, yes, the population will decline, but that it'll take quite a bit of time. It'll take generations. And maybe that's just like the hopium right, that we've talked about. But I think now that the technology is here, I think a lot of the technologies that we have will remain. But I think, like you said, they will be owned by a smaller 
percentage of the population. Like the fact that we have modern computing and we have ways that we can store data. I think even if our global infrastructure suffers and you don't have the same kind of electrical grid that you have right now, I think there will still be wealthy people who can maintain that on a smaller degree so that they can have the technology for themselves and they can sell it to those who can afford it. So I guess for me, I definitely see things getting more difficult Climate change, mass migration, especially what I mentioned before, which is not having enough food and clean water. Those are the things that I'm really concerned about and I think will take place. So there will be a lot of suffering in my mind, but I don't see like this extreme dystopia that is often depicted in fictional works. That absolutely makes sense. And I think, you know, the theme of this episode is that we really don't know the choices that people will make along the way. I personally agree with everything that you've said. And I think I feel like what you just described, in my opinion, is the slow at first. And then the all at once to me is just the fact that at some point there is a complete breakdown of security, of supply chains. And then when supply chains break down completely and for the last time, and you have people living in cities with no access to food and water, I personally don't see how you know a majority of a population could make it through that. But there is also the possibility that supply chains don't ever completely break down. They just weaken, right? And so anyway, there's just so many fun things, and it's cool to hear your opinion. It's fun to give mine. We would like to hear our listeners' opinions as well. So when we post this episode to Twitter or to Reddit, feel free to leave a comment telling us where we went wrong, giving us your idea of what you think is going to happen. And not that it really matters, because we're never going to live to the end to see it all take place. But purely for the sake of speculation and fun in this episode, we thought we'd talk about it. And hopefully, Kellen, some of your questions were answered. And the questions that others have who might be new to Collapse, hopefully they're answered as well as far as when we talk about Collapse, what sort of a vision of the future do we have? It's somehow comforting for me to know that as I'm going through this learning process and I'm learning so much from you, that there are other people out there who are following along and listening to this podcast and learning as well. I see this as a really good thing. And I want to keep this going. And I hope it continues to pick up the kind of momentum it's been gaining. So for anybody out there listening, please leave a review. Please support us on Patreon. And feel free to share this with family and friends or whoever you feel is ready to hear it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.